This podcast contains discussion about adult topics. Use your judgment if there are little ears around. Welcome to Doing It. This is a podcast made by Family Planning Victoria. FPV has been running for over 50 years now. We run a whole lot of education programs for communities and medical professionals across Victoria. We also run sexual health clinics in the city and Box Hill in Melbourne. My name is Anne and I'm part of the FPV schools and community team. We go to schools and run classes for all year levels on bodies, growing up, puberty, sex, reproduction and relationships. This podcast is for parents and carers of school-aged children so that we can share what goes on in a relationships and sexuality education class and help support these sorts of conversations at home. Today I'm going to be asking FPV school educator Athi about how relationships and sexuality education, or RSE, fits in a pre-primary school setting like daycare or kindergarten. If you listen back to our episode about consent, you'll hear Educator Kit talk about how children start learning about their bodies, sexuality and consent from the time they're born. They learn through how their parents or carers talk about bodies, what they learn about public and private, and what they understand about feeling safe. Parents and carers might not think that relationships and sexuality education belongs in a pre-primary setting. However, there are some key messages that can be suitable at this age. There are key messages about bodies and staying safe, which can be built on as the child progresses through school. Athie is going to talk me through what an RSE class might contain in a preschool setting and how to continue these conversations at home. If you're not sure that anything like this is happening at your child's preschool or kindergarten, it's a really good idea to ask. Okay, Athie, thank you so much for talking to me about early learning and relationships and sexuality education. My pleasure. My first question is why would a preschool or kindergarten want to run an RSE class? People have real misconceptions about RSE in the very early years. They think that it's going to be uh, lots of sort of graphic information about sex. Absolutely not. It's basically learning the names of your body parts, the correct names. It's learning that your body belongs to you and learning protective behaviours. So all of that is about protection and about respect and body ownership. So it's a stepping stone for all the other things that you need to learn throughout your life. I link it to consent. If you want your 16-year-old to understand consent, well, you have to have taught them from the time they were able to understand that their body belongs to them, that no one has a right to access it without their permission. And that if they trust their early warning signals, it will tell them when they're with someone safe and trustworthy and when they are not safe. How does relationships and sexuality education relate to the child safe standards? Well, it's part of the child safe standards and protective behaviour absolutely is, as well as RSE. So the department really understands the clear link between RSE and being able to look after yourself. A child is not safe because they feel shame and is not safe because they've been brought up to listen to what adults say and they're not safe if they are taught to be compliant. Um, I think... There's a real dilemma with parents because they want their children to 
to grow up to be good people and they think that means being compliant. They think, they think that means saying yes to parents and adults and then when they get in a situation where they need to say no, they've never said no to anybody. If you teach a comprehensive RSE program, what they learn to understand is to trust their inner gut and also to ask questions, to understand the difference between a helping touch and a sexual touch, to understand that even when a person is supposed to be a helper, if they don't like that person being in their personal space, that they have words to use to be able to say that. It's a continuum of the very early stuff about looking after yourself and protecting your body, which is part of RSE, all the way through to understanding what your rights are in terms of accessing medical care. It's a huge continuum. The child safe standards clearly establish a link between that very early protective behaviour stuff as part of RSE all the way through to being able to manage respectful relationships. If you can't say no at three, you're not going to be able to say it at 18 or even 30. Mm. And I think we have to understand that. And part of the child safe standards is that idea of student voice as well. Yes. So if young people don't have that language to be able to express themselves, then it's harder to speak up for them. So child safe standards is creating that safe space at a, a school environment as well. Yes, it is. It is. And it's also teaching the adults around the child that they have to ask permission for things. I mean, it's sort of... It's there enshrined in the documentation. You don't just go up to a child and help them on with their shoes. You say, can I help you on with their shoes? And you wait for them to answer. And if they say no, you stand back. And if they're having difficulty, you offer again. And by that time, the child generally wants some help. But the child needs to be in control of that process. And people get really freaked out by that Mm. because they think it's going to bring sort of uh, some kind of willfulness into the child. But if you think about it, a compliant child who never, ever, ever objects to someone having access to their body, even if it starts off being just to help them put their shoes on, they're not going to be able to say no to something that makes them feel uncomfortable. I guess in that early childhood, early learning space, it is a transition period because they've come from a time where they do need a lot of help with lots and lots of things and their parents are happy to provide that. Um, And it is a transition into learning and understanding that your body belongs to you. It is, absolutely. And that sense of independence is really important. Um, You can't be with your child in every single situation. So if it's partly to do with protective behaviours or abuse prevention, is that a scary idea for children or how do you frame it so it's a a positive message? Well, I I look at it from the point of view that um, there are lots of things in life that can be a bit scary. The first time a child goes really high on a swing, they need to be able to say too high. And what you would do is if they said that, you go, okay, okay, I'll let you slow down a bit on the swing and then we'll take it as far as you want to. You're giving the child control. We don't go, oh dear, um, 
the swing will be too scary. Well, most people don't. <laughs> or that that very, very high slide is too scary. We let the child voice their concern and we coach them through it. We start them on the smaller slide. So all of those things are their early warning signals acting to tell them that they don't feel safe. Well, it's the same with everything else in their life. So it's about not undermining those signals that they get, talking them through it and then building on to that. It doesn't have to be about, oh, that person's going to take you away and do terrible things to you. It's about strangers or anyone, even people you know, because strangers is such a crazy thing because kids don't know really what a stranger is. Nobody has access to your body without your permission, even me who loves you and who looks after you. That's why I'm always going to ask, can I wipe your bottom now? That will feel more comfortable, won't it? Great. Thank you. So it's about trusting those those signals and being able to express those warning signals as well. That's right. That's right. We tend to go straight to the scary stuff when we need to build it up. How would you feel if you were walking in the street and a big dog on the other side of the fence started to bark at you? Oh my goodness, what would your heart do? What would your knees do? Oh, you'd feel very sweaty and you'd want to run away. Well, that's your body telling you that you're not safe. When you feel those things, it could be any time. could be when Auntie Mavis comes to kiss you and she smells funny, right? You're allowed to say, no, stop. And you're allowed to come to an adult that you trust and say, I need help, I don't feel safe. Or I didn't like it when Auntie Mavis grabbed me. Mm. So going into primary school, what are the skills or language you would want children to have? I would want them to be able to say... I like, I don't like, I feel, and to be able to add feelings to that, to complete that thought. I don't like it when you tickle me, is what a three-year-old said to me on the weekend. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry, I won't tickle you again. And I didn't. And I said, thank you for telling me. You raise children to understand that love isn't based on their need to pacify you and to meet your standards that they are their own little person they can express their feelings and ideas and unless it's something really really dangerous you always take a step back and ask them if they're okay for example the same said three-year-old found a coin in my bag and she was looking in there with permission she asked first (laughs) and uh, she found a 10 cent coin and and I said you can keep that if you want so Three minutes later, she put it in her mouth. And I said, no, absolutely not. It's dangerous. You'll choke, spit it out right now. And she did. And I said, you can't put it in your mouth. You can put it in your pocket. You can put it in your little little bag. But you can't put it in your mouth because, first of all, it's probably got germs on it and it could make you sick. But the most important thing is you could swallow it. It could get stuck in your throat. And so... It came to a dangerous situation and I intervened. But anything short of that, I should be asking her permission. Is it okay if I cut up your food? Yes. Or she will say, please cut up my food. And in terms of the language of their own bodies, yes, they learn that as well? She knows what vagina, bottom is, uh, vulva, all those... Um, you know, silly names we give those body parts, it gives them a different aura to the other body parts. I mean, how many words are there for elbow or shoulder? Not 
many. <laughs> I haven't heard of anything other than shoulder and elbow. And there's no shame to your shoulder and elbow. Why do we whisper down there? Or all oh, your rude bits? Or, uh, you know, willy? There's no need to actually do that. It, it gives a sense of trepidation about using those words or as somehow that they're not serious or too serious. Either way is not good enough. So it's all right to use the proper words. And have them before they go into primary school so that they're ready. Absolutely. How does this help to keep children safe? If a child said, oh, we we to you, you might not take it with the same level of seriousness. But a child who's used to talking about their own body and if they said my vulva hurts, which is what another friend's child said, um, she, she went, okay, let's have a look and realised that her, her child had a bit of a rash. Now, if a child says to you, someone touched my vulva, what are you going to think? I didn't like it when they touched my vulva. I mean, they really... You, you pay attention, don't you? Mm. You'd, there's no mincing words there. Mm. But if a child's beating around the bush going, my wee-wee, my down there, oh, um, I didn't like it when they touch me and they're not going to tell you what that word is. You know, it might be that they went to stroke their hair and they didn't like that because they feel uncomfortable with people touching their hair. It, you know, if they're not specific about what kind of touch happened you're not going to be able to help them in the same way but again it also is back to that ownership thing every single part of my body belongs to me and I know the names of it and I feel comfortable talking to my adult about it I can say those words to my adult without shame although farts are funny farts are always (laughs) going to be funny Um, but that is part of dispelling shame as well You can use those words with complete conviction that the adults who care for you are going to listen. Mm. And if they know those words going into primary school, by the time they go into secondary school, they might be more able to access medical help if they need to or other services because they're confident in using that language. Yes, if they feel shame about those body parts, they're not going to seek help. You know, um, a 17-year-old who has, you know, an itch or redness um, after some kind of sexual contact, if they feel shame, they're not going to access medical services. What sort of activities could be run with uh, early learning years age group? First of all, your really basic stuff, just talking about what the body parts are called, public and private. These are the public body parts. These are private body parts. These are public spaces. These are private spaces. Public behaviour, private behaviour. Very basic talk about how do you ask for help? What does your body say when you get a fright? How does your body feel when you're very happy or excited? What things make you sad? Uh, what things make you happy, all the really basic stuff like heads, shoulders, knees and toes, people who help us in the community, those simple Mm. sorts of games and highlighting what happens in day-to-day life is really helpful for teaching all of that. Even simple things like playing. I played doctors and, and 
and nurses and sick people with my with my friend's little girl and it's because I was really tired actually I've <laughs> been playing all day and I said oh I'm feeling really sick I'm gonna lie here on the couch and I said can you help me I need some help and she said all right she said where does it hurt and I thought that's a really good start and in fact when any sort of professional, medical professional, is treating a child, they should always ask that question. And then the next question was, can I have a look? Thank you. Yes, you can. And, uh, you know, she dealt with my problem <laughs> <laughs> by uh, making noises in my ears. And, uh, and then uh, she put some Band-Aids on me and uh, covered me in a blanket and said, have a little sleep, you'll feel better. So she actually mimicked all the permission that needs to be sought if she was from the medical professional, if she was going somewhere to have any sort of treatment. Yes, an adult will be with her, but that doesn't mean that the adult should ask the parent. The medical professional should address those sorts of questions to the child as well. It's the child's body and the parent doesn't have actual ownership of the child's body. The child does. And that idea of it's a transition period. So even things like public and private, like you might explain that going to the toilet is a private thing, but in a kindergarten, it yes. might not be entirely private. Yes. So it is a transition period and it, it's not something that's going to happen, that understanding of I own my own body. It's not going to happen in one conversation. It's going to happen in lots. That's exactly right. We don't teach maths for one session, mm. you know, in a year. We, we teach the foundations and we build on it and it's the same with RSC. In a kindergarten situation, you would still call the bathroom a private space. So if you wanted to come out and do a wee in the yard or take your pants off in the yard, then the words that the kinder teachers and, and carers, the words that they would say is, oh, let's go back into private because, you know, the, the playground is public. People can see you. It's the toilet and the bathroom that's private and that's where we do private things. Uh, what sort of opportunities could parents and carers find to have these sorts of conversations and continue that sort of language and learning at home with their three, four, five-year-old? Uh, when dressing and bathing and uh, even basic stuff like meal times, can I put you up in your chair? It's time to put you up, up in your chair. Is that okay? Can I lift you down now? I'm just going to wipe your face. Is that all right? Even the way that you say it, even if you're not asking for permission all the time, the inflection in your voice is saying, you still have a choice here. Most children, when they're uncomfortable, want help. Most children ask for help after they've tried to do whatever it is themselves. So they're going to assist in their own care it's hard to use words that aren't inflammatory because, you know, people go, oh, my God, I can't let my two-year-old decide when they have their nappy changed. It's all in the way that you ask the questions and you phrase the whole prospect of having your nappy changed. It's about their comfort level and about, you know, smell and about uh, social rules, that sort of stuff. So you're putting it in a whole package. just takes lots of time and there are so many opportunities in every single day. Thanks so much Athy for sharing everything you know. I know you've got a lot of experience with young people and talking to young people about this sort of thing and parents and carers as well so thanks for sharing all that. 
My pleasure. Thanks so much to Athy for that discussion about early years learning and RSE. Some key things that stood out for me were it's a really good idea to teach young children medical names for private body parts. Help young children express how they feel so that they can tell you if they feel unsafe. Prepare for a time of transition when your child starts to do things on their own. Part of this is understanding that they are in charge of their own bodies. For more resources and information about Family Planning Victoria, you can go to fpv.org.au. Any Victorian institution that works with children must adhere to the child safe standards. Standard 7 is about empowering children. There are lots of great books that help explain private body parts. A good one is Everyone's Got a Bottom by Tess Rowley. You can follow FPV on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. Contact me directly at doingit at fpv.org.au. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out. Like it if you like it. Thanks very much for listening. Bye.